Blog Talk Radio. It's not my country. My country is me and my family. Countries also. Huerta. And the governor. The landlords. Gunther and his locusts. This little revolution we're having here. A revolution? Revolution, please don't try to tell me about revolution. I know all about the revolutions and how they start. The people that read the books, they go to the people that don't read the books. They put people and say, Ho ho, the time has come to have a change. Shit, shush. I know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the revolutions. The people who read the books, or the people who can't read the books, the poor people and say, We have to have a change. So the poor people make the change, huh? And then the people who read the books, they all sit around the big polished tables and they talk and talk and talk and eat and eat and eat. Huh? But what has happened to the poor people? They're dead! That's your revolution. So please, don't tell me about revolutions. Tell yourself that you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not point fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that. A palace in which there is no king or queen or dukes or earls or princes, but subjects or subjects beholden to each other to make a better place to live. Is that too much to ask? Are we asking too much? Is it beyond our reach? Because if it is, then we are nothing but sheep being herded to the final slaughterhouse. I will not go down that way. I choose to fight back. I choose to rise, not fall. I choose to live, not die. And I know, I know that what's within me is also within you. exciting topic to delve into. We're about to take a deep dive into the realm of global defense and military power. That's right, we're going to explore the ranking of the world's most powerful militaries in 2023. So, if you're as intrigued as I am, hit that subscribe button, and let's get started. The ranking considers factors including the amount of military equipment and troops each country has, as well as their financial standing, geography, and available resources, information which may be imperfect. Notably, the ranking only evaluates militaries from a conventional standpoint, overlooking a country's capacity for nuclear strikes. It purportedly uses more than 60 factors to generate a power index score, with a score closer to zero indicating a more powerful military. 
global firepower doesn't explain exactly how the factors are weighed against each other or the workings of their in-house formula. Here is the rundown of the 25 top militaries for this ranking with some information on each nation. 25. Germany Military Strength This is how much YouTube has been paying me for a brand new channel that I created that only has 400 While 25th overall, with a power index score of 0.3881, global firepower ranked Germany in the top 20 globally in areas including total aircraft fleet strength, helicopter strength, and its total armored fighting vehicle fleet. It said that as of January 2023, Germany had around 601 aircraft, 266 tanks, and 287 helicopters. The country also had the fifth highest defense budget of around $52.3 billion, behind only the US, China, Russia, and India. It also benefits from being a core part of NATO. The Bundeswehr had a strength of 181,596 active duty military personnel and 80,890 civilians, placing it among the 30 largest military forces in the world and making it the second largest in the European Union behind France. Number 24, 2023 Thailand Military Strength Global Firepower ranked Thailand in the top 20 in terms of total available population fit for military service and total available active military manpower. As of January 2023, Thailand's available manpower was over 36 million people, Global Firepower said, resulting in a power index score of 0.3738. Understandably, given its long coastlines, Thailand has a strong navy, and while it has no aircraft carriers, its total naval assets, 292, which includes six corvettes and seven frigates, are the eighth largest in the world, Global Firepower said. Number 23. 2023 Taiwan Military Strength Global Firepower ranked Taiwan first in terms of total available reserve military manpower, with around 1.5 million reserve personnel as of April 2023, the equivalent of 6.4% of the country's population. Taiwan, which was given a power index score of 0.3639, also ranked highly in terms of air power, with 285 fighter aircraft and 91 attack helicopters, both the eighth largest fleets of those kinds in the world, according to Global Firepower. Number 22, 2023 Saudi Arabia Military Strength Global Firepower ranked Saudi Arabia second when it came to its total aerial tanker aircraft fleet strength and in the top 20 in areas including total helicopter strength, total oil production, natural gas production, and total available active military manpower. The country had 22 aerial tanker aircraft as of January 2023, with Saudi Arabia the second biggest oil producer in the world, after the US. Its defense budget of $46 billion was also the eighth highest in the world global firepower gave. The country a power index score of 0.3626, Number 21. 2023 Spain Military Strength Global Firepower ranked Spain as having the 21st most powerful military in the world in 2023, and a top 20 power in areas including its total transport fleet strength, total fighter interceptor aircraft strength, number of submarines, and also its number of available ports. Spain is also one of the few countries in the world with a helicopter carrier, and its fleet of 11 frigates places its seventh globally in that category. The country, which was given a power index score of 0.3556, also had 140 fighter aircraft and two submarines as of January 2023. Number 20. 
2023 Poland military strength. Global Firepower ranked Poland in the top 20 in areas including its total helicopter strength, its armored fighting vehicle fleet strength, its total number of mine and countermine warfare ships, and its total number of submarine craft. It said that as of December 2022, Poland had 208 helicopters and more than 50,000 armored fighting vehicles, giving it a power index score of 0.3406. Number 19. 2023, Vietnam military strength. Global Firepower ranked Vietnam in the top 10 in areas including total available active military manpower and its total self-propelled gun vehicle fleet strength. It said that as of January 2023, Vietnam had more than 53 million people who count as available military manpower, with an estimated 470,000 active military personnel, ninth highest in the world, in addition to 2.5 million reserves. It gave Vietnam a power index score of 0.2855. Number 18. 2023, Israel military strength. 18th overall, Israel was ranked by global firepower in the top 20 in areas like its total fighter, interceptor aircraft strength, its total aircraft fleet strength, and its total available reserve military manpower. It said that Israel, which gave a power index score of 0.2757, had 601 military aircraft as of January 2023, with 241 of those being fighters. It also had 2,200 tanks, as well as a stock of 650 pieces of self-propelled artillery. Given its historic conflicts with its neighbors and with armed groups like Hamas, the Israel Defense Forces hold a prominent place in its society. Many men and women are compelled to complete national service, giving it a relatively large military for its population of 9 million. Low-level clashes around the occupied territories are frequent. Israel's famed Iron Dome air defense system helps repel rocket attacks from around its borders. With U.S. funding included, Israel's defense budget is on track to increase from $19.3 billion in 2019 to $23.6 billion in 2023, with an estimated 2% rise between 2024 and 2028, for a recent global data report. Number 17. 2023, Iran military strength. Global Firepower ranked Iran in the top 10 in areas including its total combat tank fleet strength, total self-propelled multiple launch rocket projector vehicle fleet strength, and total available active military manpower. It said that as of January 2023, Iran had more than 4,000 tanks and more than 1,000 rocket projectors. Its active military personnel of 575,000 was the seventh largest in the world. Overall, it gave the country a power index score of 0.2712. Number 16. 2023, Australia military strength. With the sixth highest defense budget in the world, global firepower ranked Australia in the top 10 in areas, including its total aerial tanker aircraft fleet strength, total number of helicopter carrier warships, total natural gas production, and number of roadways, airports, and major ports. While its active military personnel was just 60,500, 61st largest, the country has two helicopter carriers, fourth, and six aerial tanker aircraft, making its fleet the eighth largest in the world. It gave Australia a power index score of 0.2567. Are you a low-income American on food stamps or Medicaid? If so, you are now... Number 15. 2023, Ukraine military strength. Global Firepower said Ukraine increased its ranking compared to last year due to its response to Russia's invasion, 
and the military help, including weapons, it is getting from its allies. Russia invaded Ukraine in February 2022, expecting to take the country in a matter of days. Instead, it was pushed back to the east, where both sides are now grinding it out on the battlefield, with no signs the conflict will end anytime soon. Global Firepower ranked Ukraine 10th overall for its number of self-propelled multiple launch rocket projectors, saying that as of April 2023, it had 647 of them. It gave the country a power index score of 0.2516. A year and a half into the war, the Ukrainian armed forces grapple with two major challenges when it comes to training and deploying new soldiers, according to a recent report from the Nonpartisan Congressional Research Service. The report cites a lack of fully developed professional corps to train and command new recruits as well the challenge of balancing the time spent training recruits on performing complex operations and operating sophisticated weaponry while ensuring adequate personnel are deployed on the front lines. Close to 500,000 Russian and Ukrainian soldiers have been killed or injured since the start of the war, U.S. officials told the New York Times. Number 14. 2023, Egypt Military Strength. Global Firepower ranked Egypt in the top 10 in areas including total available active military manpower, available paramilitary force strength, and total available reserve manpower, as well as the strength of its aircraft fleet. It said Egypt had more than 1,000 military aircraft as of January 2023, and that it had 300,000 people who can be considered part of its paramilitary forces. It gave Egypt a power index score of 0.2224. Number 13. 2023, Indonesia Military Strength. Global Firepower ranked Indonesia in the top five worldwide in areas, including its total available population fit for military service, total available population reaching military age on an annual basis, and its total number of offshore patrol boats and corvette warships. It said that, as of January 2023, more than 112 million Indonesians were eligible for military service, 40.7% of the country's population. It gave Indonesia a power index score of 0.2221. Number 12. 2023, Brazil Military Strength. Global Firepower ranked Brazil in the top five in areas, including its available population that is fit for military service, its total transport fleet strength, and its number of total serviceable airports. The country has over 4,000 airports, the second highest in the world, as well as 17 ports and trade terminals the fifth highest in this category. Global Firepower said that Brazil had more than 87 million people fit for military service as of January 2023, 40.3% of the country's population. In the wake of anti-government riots on January 8, 2023, Brazil's President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva vowed to crack down on all military officials who sought to overturn Brazil's 2022 election results. Lula fired the country's army chief upon taking office in January. Global Firepower gave Brazil a power index score of 0.2151. Number 11. 2023, Turkey Military Strength. Global Firepower said Turkey is undoubtedly a rising military power, relying ever more on local industry to satisfy equally local defense requirements on land, on sea, and in the air. It ranked the country in the top 10 in areas including aircraft fleet strength, transport fleet strength, and helicopter strength. It said Turkey had 1,065 military aircraft as of January 2023, giving it a power index score of 0.2016.
Turkey is one of five NATO member countries that host U.S. nuclear weapons as part of the alliance's nuclear sharing deal. The country has chosen a difficult balancing act since the beginning of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine by providing Ukraine with combat drones and keeping close ties with Russian President Vladimir Putin. While Turkey has mediated diplomatic deals like the Grain Initiative and prisoner swaps, it has failed to broker a ceasefire or bring both countries to the negotiating table. Number 10. 2023, Italy Military Strength. Global Firepower ranked Italy in the top 10 in areas including its aerial tanker aircraft fleet, total helicopter strength, attack aircraft strength, and total number of aircraft carrier warships. It said Italy had 404 helicopters, including 58 attack helicopters, and two aircraft carrier warships as of January 2023. It gave Italy a power index score of 0.1973. Most people have no clue that in 2023, the best way to make money on Amazon is not with just Number 9. 2023, France Military Strength. Global Firepower ranked France 9th overall. The European nation was in the top 10 in areas, including its total helicopter fleet and number of destroyer warships, as well as its total transport fleet strength. France is also one of the few nations to field an aircraft carrier, the Charles de Gaulle. It also has nuclear weapons. Global Firepower said France had 438 helicopters, including 69 attack helicopters, and 10 destroyer warships as of January 2023, giving it a power index score of 0.1848. France has traditionally had a strong presence in the Sahel region of Africa, where it used to have several colonies. In recent years, it has started to wind down its presence there, though approximately 5,000 French soldiers are still stationed on bases across Africa. Meanwhile, Russia and China are competing for influence. Number 8. 2023, Japan Military Strength. Japan still has a powerful military despite having renounced the ability to wage war in the aftermath of its defeat in World War II. Japan's constitution heavily limits its ability to use force overseas, and its military is accordingly known as the Japan Self-Defense Forces. Global Firepower ranked Japan in the top 10 for its aircraft fleet strength, total helicopter strength, and armored fighting vehicle fleet strength. An island nation, Japan was the highest ranked nation when it came to major ports, and with four helicopter carriers it ranked second in that category, as well as second, behind only the US when it came to the strength of its special mission aircraft fleet. In recent decades, Japan has only invested around 1% of its GDP in defense, but more recently began to change its posture. Number 7. 2023, Pakistan Military Strength. Pakistan rose from 9th overall in 2022 to 7th on the list in 2023. While Pakistan had more than 3,700 tanks, 1,400 military aircraft, 9 submarines, and 654,000 active military personnel as of January 2023, Global Firepower said its rise was also due to this year's rankings having a bigger focus on natural resources and shared borders. Pakistan neighbors Afghanistan, China, India, and Iran, and has a lot of coal, as well as some petroleum and natural gas fields. Global Firepower ranked Pakistan in the top 10 in areas including its total available population fit for military service, total available active military manpower, and total aircraft fleet strength, with a power index score of 0.1694. Number 6. 2023, South Korea Military Strength. 
The strength of South Korea's military is no surprise given its decades-old tensions with North Korea. Global Firepower ranked South Korea in the top five for its aircraft fleet strength, armored fighting vehicle fleet strength, and helicopter strength. It said the Asian nation had more than 133,000 vehicles and 739 helicopters, including 112 attack helicopters as of January 2023. Overall, it gave South Korea a power index score of 0.1505. Number 5. 2023, the UK military strength. Global Firepower said the UK's position was boosted by its strengths in manpower and airpower, as well as its strong financial position. It is also one of the few powers to operate more than one aircraft carrier, it added. The UK currently has two aircraft carriers, equal to the number that China, Italy, and India have, but far fewer than the 11 that the US operates. Global Firepower ranked the UK in the top 10 in areas, including its total number of available ports, and its total aerial tanker aircraft fleet strength, giving the country a power index score of 0.1435. Number 4. 2023, India Military Strength India's strength lies in the size of its population. Global Firepower ranked India second for available manpower, total available active military manpower, and paramilitary force strength. It said India's available manpower was more than 653 million people, 47% of the country's population, as of January 2023. It also said that India had almost 1.5 million active military personnel. India has been engaged in military clashes with China over its shared border. While China claims some 90,000 square kilometers of territory in India's northeast, India says China occupies 38,000 square kilometers of its territory in the Xi Chin Plateau. After three years of 19 rounds of core commander-level meetings, the two countries said they agreed to resolve the remaining issues in an expeditious manner but fell short of making specific concessions. Global Firepower gave India a power index score of 0.1025. Number 3. 2023, the Chinese military strength. China has grown its military power fast in recent years as it takes a more assertive role in world affairs. Global Firepower ranked China first for available manpower and for the strength of its naval fleet. China has a distinct advantage economically and by way of sheer manpower and has placed a decided focus on increasing, primarily through local means, naval, air power, and land warfare capabilities, global firepower said in its latest ranking. If the trend continues, it added, China will become the primary global military adversary to the United States. Tensions are simmering around Taiwan where China launched military drills in August of 2023 as a stern warning, citing what it called provocation and collusion between separatists and foreign forces. Number 2. 2023, Russia Military Strength While its military's reputation has taken a hit since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, Russia retained its second-place spot on global firepower's ranking. Russia's invasion of Ukraine showcased key limitations in Russian military capabilities. Despite its quantitative manpower and material advantage over neighboring Ukraine, Global Firepower said. It added that China was moving closer to taking the runner-up spot. Global Firepower ranked Russia second in areas including total aircraft fleet strength and total transport fleet strength. It said that, as of January 2023, Russia had more than 4,100 military aircraft. 
While Russia has faced a number of military setbacks since it launched its invasion of Ukraine, losing considerable quantities of equipment, notably tanks, its air force and navy have largely avoided damage. Overall, global firepower gave Russia a power index score of 0.0714. Number 1. 2023 U.S. Military Strength the U.S. military retained its undisputed place at the top of the ranking, although China's efforts have narrowed the gap over the years. Global Firepower said the U.S. took the top spot as it showcases commanding numbers in key material, financial, and resource categories. The U.S. was given a power index score of 0.0712. The nation leads the world technologically, it said. The U.S. ranks first in many areas of Global Firepower's ranking with 92 destroyers and 11 aircraft carriers in its fleets. Its air power includes 13,300 aircraft and 983 attack helicopters, as of April 2023, comfortably the largest in the world. It also had by far the largest defense budget in excess of $750 billion, more than triple that of China in second place. In response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine in 2022, the U.S. deployed an additional 20,000 troops to Europe, bringing the total to more than 100,000 soldiers across the continent. The U.S. is the largest provider of military assistance to Ukraine, having committed more than $42 billion in security assistance since the start of Russia's first invasion in 2014. Thank you for joining us today on this journey to uncover the world's most powerful militaries in 2023. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to hit that Right there, you have it. Of course, military. So when people talk about the United States being uh, uh, the military, you know, like it, it, it surpasses everyone else's military quadruple fold. I mean, there's nothing that can compare to the United States military. That's a fact. Uh, they don't even come close. Not even close. The technology that they we have and and the uh, just uh, just uh, again the air force the raptors the raptors the uh, airplane that flies above the speed of sound i mean nobody can match it nothing it can knock anything out of the sky so uh you know and then our navy we got 11 aircraft carriers uh, our battleships i mean it's just our, our destroyers they're technologically superior to i mean one destroyer can knock take on the navy of uh, uh india so you know people don't know what they're talking about they just don't know when you got idiots out there that that say these that make these statements like the United States is some weak, degenerate country that doesn't have any power, you know, I mean, come on. But uh, you know, and what kind of power does it does it have? You know, just don't forget the space, that outer space. Uh, but let's look at some of the weapons here that uh, the greatest military vehicles that the United States does really have, and the power that they can generate. Let's take a look at that. Over the course of military history, two elements have been locked in an ongoing struggle for battlefield dominance, firepower and maneuverability. True battlefield potency is achieved when you're able to take your firepower, your army, and maneuver it through a war zone to gain a positional advantage. But in the 70 years before the start of World War I, the technology of firepower had advanced at a much greater rate than maneuverability, which still plodded along at the speed of a horse. That would all begin to change during World War I. 
the emergence of an array of new technologies, at the heart of which was the revolutionary internal combustion engine. And with these technologies came war machines designed to restore the balance, machines that matched the advances of weapons with an ability to move men faster, more efficiently, and more safely. This is the story of movement. operations led by rowboats were over. But soon, a new type of vessel for moving men ashore would emerge. While the Second World War provided the Allies with the same problems faced at Gallipoli, they were on a much grander scale. How to deploy entire armies and supplies to a continent where all the major ports were in the enemy's control. Enter the American boat building entrepreneur Andrew Higgins and his design, the LCVP. Higgins answered the call of the U.S. Marines to construct a vessel that could perform well in the open sea and deliver a company of 36 fully equipped soldiers onto unprepared beaches. Based on a design used in the shallow waters of the Louisiana bayous, the initial landing craft personnel, or LCP, could operate effectively in just 45 centimeters of water, land its bow ashore, and remove itself to deeper water as needed. This initial design was adequate, but required men and supplies to be unloaded over the sides, a tactical nightmare considering the dangers of amphibious landings. So they decided to use a deployable ramp which fell down, which allowed a rapid evacuation of the craft. And that meant that the troops could get straight onto the beach and start fighting as soon as possible. What's more, they could be equipped with two Browning machine guns at the rear to provide covering fire while unloading. This design became known as the Landing Craft Vehicle Personnel. LCVP, or Higgins Boat for short. With its ability to carry a full complement of 36 combat-ready infantry, it would play a vital role in the D-Day landings of 1944. Close to 2,000 Higgins boats were employed in those landings. So critical was the role they played that after the war, Supreme Allied Commander Dwight Eisenhower declared that Higgins is the man who won the war for us. 
History Hit is an award-winning streaming platform built by history fans for history fans. By subscribing to History Hit, you can access hundreds of hours of military history documentaries on demand. Follow in the footsteps of the Essex Dogs with Dan Jones or discover the history of archery with Ray Mears. We've built up an extensive library of history programs, hundreds of hours of documentaries, exclusive original films, interviews, and ad-free podcasts made for proper history fans. Sign up now for a free trial, and War Stories fans get 50% of their first three months. Just be sure to use the code WARSTORIES at checkout. But the Higginswold was not the only amphibious landing craft that would play a vital role in the war. In virtually every theater of World War II, the Allies were compelled to launch amphibious operations. But arriving onto land from the sea, presented the question of how to assist troops as they negotiated that most treacherous element of any beach landing, the open expanse of the beach itself. Remember, landing craft can only get you onto the beach. To get from the beach into, say, cover, if you have to carry things, you're vulnerable. So in 1942, the Americans, of course, invented an amphibious truck, and this was the, the DUKW known, of course, as the Duck. The Duck exemplified one of the most remarkable traits of the American war effort. Rapid manufacturing adaptability. Rather than create an all-new vehicle from scratch, they took the proven CCKW 2.5-ton truck, the logistical backbone of the Allied war effort, fitted a boat-like hull to the existing drive chain and chassis, and then added a rear propeller and bilge pumps, both powered through a transfer case. So it could drive on the road as normal, and the good thing about it, it could swing. The DUKW, of course, is inherently a ludicrous device. This is a truck that floats, you're kidding me. And the American armed forces initially rejected it. It just happened that an experimental model happened to be on the coast of Massachusetts when there was a hurricane in 1942. And there happened to be a Coast Guard patrol vessel that had got into difficulty. If you want peace, prepare for war. The duality theme of this inspired coin is sure. And the boats couldn't reach it, but the DUKW was able to literally swim out, pick up the crew, bring them back. And after that, all of the objections to the DUKW concept were disappeared. And when it was introduced into service, it was a revelation. Because it goes both on sand and mud and on coral and on roads, it needs wheels that can change their tire pressure. How do you do that? The Americans have this thing called a Spears device, common in cars today, which enables the driver of the DUKW to vary the tire pressure of his wheels. So in lots of ways, the DUKW confronted and solved a whole host of technical problems. Over 20,000 ducks were produced, and they saw service in every campaign until war's end. Able to reach 80 kilometers per hour on land, and with a range of 650 kilometers, which allowed them to continue supply as the main front advanced, the duck is often referred to as one of the machines that won the war. The DUKW was immediately a massive success because of landings like Normandy, the Dragoon landings in the south of France, 
the further Italian landings right through the Italian campaign. But where it really earned its stripes was in the war in the Pacific, fighting alongside another amphibious vehicle that would prove invaluable. It's more heavily armed and armored cousin, the landing vehicle track. Perhaps the most memorable of all land battles in the Pacific was the Battle of Iwo Jima. On February 19, 1945, the largest American naval force ever assembled in the Pacific began its attack on the small island, part of an inner ring of Japanese defenses designed to prevent an American invasion. Anticipating an amphibious war, the Americans understood that simple landing barges would not cross the coral reefs and sandbars that fringed most Pacific islands. And the boggy volcanic sand of the beaches often ruled out wheeled vehicles for the initial assault. Based on a tracked civilian vehicle designed to navigate the swampy terrains of the Florida Everglades, the LVT provided a solution. The LVT was a landing craft that was fitted with tracks. With tracks, you have two points of contact on the ground over a large area, so your ground pressure is a lot lower. So, whereas wheels would get stuck, tracks still able to keep the vehicle moving forward. With the capacity to transport six crew and 30 troops, the LVT was powered by a seven-cylinder, 186-kilowatt radial engine. The addition of a rear-folding ramp meant that light vehicles and artillery systems could be carried, further enhancing the LVT's capability. With the rear ramp in place, troops and vehicles could exit with relative safety using the hull, which was covered in 13-millimeter armor as a shield. And that is so important with a landing craft. The reason being is that very often you're landing under duress. You're landing under conditions of enemy fire. Initially a supply and transport vehicle, when experience pointed to the LVT's offensive potential, two 30-millimeter and two 50-millimeter guns were fitted forward and rear of the loading area. Updates continued with gun turrets and suspension lifted from the Stuart Light tank. It was another example of American manufacturing adaptability. Nearly 20,000 LVTs were produced. An all-new kind of infantry fighting vehicle that played a central role in the Battle of Iwo Jima. A costly battle that lasted a month before U.S. Marines claimed victory. The LVT-4, the variant used with such success during the month-long Battle of Iwo Jima, continued in service after World War II and was superseded by the massive 40-ton LVTP-5. It, in turn, was replaced in the early 70s by the LVTP-7, a family of vehicles known by troops as the Amtrak, or Battle Bus. And in 1984, a shift in capability and tactical use, leading more toward all-round fighting capability, led to a name change. No longer principally a landing vehicle, the LVTP-7 became an amphibious assault vehicle and was redesignated the AAV. The amphibious assault vehicle is a fairly substantial improvement on its historical predecessors, such as the LVT and the W. 
The revolutionary aspects of the design are based on three things. Firstly, it's protection. So it has an aluminium hull, uh, but also it is able to be fitted with a ceramic-based applique armor. Made from sandwich-plated steel, combined with an underlayer of Kevlar, the enhanced applique armor kit provides protection. What if there was an automated software that could make passive income for you? You've probably heard about ChatGPT. Protection against small arms of up to 14.5 millimeters and anti-material shell fragments. The second point is its speed. With a weight of just 24 tons, the AAV, operated by a three-man crew, can transport 25 combat-loaded Marines on roads at speeds of 72 kilometers per hour. War doesn't wait for weather, and the pronounced bow of the fully battened down AAV can withstand swells of up to four meters. And it can do this traveling at speeds of up to eight knots, propelled by the vehicle's tracks, which are assisted by a pair of water jets fitted to the rear of the track idlers. All round, this represents almost a doubling of speed and seagoing ability than that achieved by the LVT-4. The third aspect of this vehicle is its range in that it's able to travel up to 480 kilometers on a single tank of fuel. A range double that of the World War II LVT-4. The roof line features a turret equipped with an M250 caliber machine gun and an MK19 40 millimeter automatic grenade launcher that can accurately strike targets at a range of 1.5 kilometers. AAVs have powered ashore in a variety of conflicts, including the first Gulf War. And while it has developed into a highly adaptable battlefield weapon, it is still very much an amphibious vehicle, capable on land, but not off the land. To reinforce an amphibious assault, and continue that attack on land requires vehicles with both high levels of armor and heavy-duty firepower. And to deliver these vehicles from ship to shore requires a heavy-duty landing craft, like the LCAC. The landing craft air cushion is a huge hovercraft, and it's awesome is able to carry up to 188 troops, over 60 tons of payloads. That means they can take an M1 Abrams from ship to shore. Launched from the floodable well deck of multi-purpose amphibious assault ships, the LCAC is powered by four 12,000 kilowatt turbines, has a top speed of over 70 kilometers per hour, and a range of up to 550 kilometers. The revolutionary thing about the LCAC is that it can be deployed from a ship up to over 50 kilometers away. So that means it can traverse from a point which is over the horizon from the destination. So that means that your expensive assets, the large ships that deploy this craft, are protected from enemy fire. The LCAC also has survivability built in. While the four main engines are all used for lift and propulsion, 
the craft can continue to operate at reduced capability with two engines inoperable. The other advantage of the LCAC is it can be deployed almost anywhere. In fact, it's able to be deployed on around 80% of the world's coastlines. Due to its tremendous capability over hazardous terrain, a small army can be deployed beyond the beach in secure landing areas, where they are less vulnerable to enemy counterattacks. And among that force would be a number of armored personnel carriers. Just as amphibious vehicles have had to evolve to meet the challenges of getting soldiers to the battlefield, land-based troop transport has had to adapt the way it moves them on it. At the turn of the 20th century, motor vehicles had yet to gain military acceptance, and aviation was in its infancy. Just as rowboats were the accepted method for amphibious landings, trains and horses were the traditional tools used to move men and equipment on land. But railways follow static routes, and horses are flesh and blood. And it was this lack of flexibility and speed that contributed to the stalemate that was World War I, a costly impasse that lasted for over four years. But as the reliability and power output of the internal combustion engine improved, new ways of transporting men began to emerge. World War I was the first major conflict where vehicles were starting to be used. And the main advantage of a truck is that it's a little bit more resilient than a live animal. In the Scientific American magazine of July 1916, an article appeared describing the French efforts to defend the citadel city of Verdun. As if surprised, it reported that it was here then that the motor transport performed its miracle of bringing up a quarter of a million men, supplying this great force with food and ammunition, and removing the wounded. Join large-scale battles with military vehicles. The online action game War Thunder has received a major update. It went on to say that it was the first time in the history of the world that any army was entirely dependent on motor transportation. The narrow road to Verdun was later renamed the Sacred Way to commemorate its vital contribution to the war effort. But while trucks and buses became increasingly used in World War I to move men to and from the battle zone, movement on the battlefield itself remained relatively static. And of course, at that time, breakdowns in trucks were quite commonplace. It wasn't until World War II that the geographic scale of warfare meant that the mass movement of men across the battlefield by motorized vehicles would no longer be a fallback plan, but a necessity. It was the German Blitzkrieg of 1939 and 1940 that first clearly demonstrated the tactical advantages of coordinated, motorized battlefield transport. Blitzkrieg is a term basically for lightning war. So you want to hit one spot very quickly and fast. So you essentially just break through. To achieve success, Blitzkrieg relied on specialized vehicles to transport troops and supplies. 
specialized vehicles known as Hanomags, a family of half-track troop transports. Perhaps the most famous and widely used of those German machines was the STKFZ-251. A robust and reliable half-track that weighed nine tons at a top speed of 55 kilometers per hour at a range of over 300 kilometers. It had the maneuverability of a wheel vehicle, but still had the load-carrying capacity of a tracked vehicle over soft and boggy ground. By combining track drive with steering wheels, the Hanomag was able to ford close to a meter of water and cope with all but the most treacherous terrain. The German half-track was a troop carrier, so it principally was designed specifically to get uh, 10 troops uh, to the front, to the action, to where the battle was under the protection of steel armor. Operated by a two-man crew, the Hanomag was armored with 14.5 millimeter thick front-facing steel plates that were steeply angled and V-shaped plates of 8 millimeter thickness on the sides, providing more than adequate protection against small arms and machine gun fire. What's interesting about the half-track is the, the armor plating that's used. And if you look at a half-track, it has this, these angled plates. Now, there is benefit there from a ballistic protection point of view, because as the bullet travels through an oblique plate, it has the tendency to turn. And what that does is that takes energy out of the bullet. The Hanomags were central to the success of the Blitzkrieg and at least 15,000 were produced in a number of variants during the course of the war. The Allies, too, used half-tracks, and perhaps the best known of those was the American M3, which was almost identical to the Hanomag in both specification and production numbers. The M3 would go on to serve with the U.S. Army through both Korea and Vietnam. But the speed and weapons of warfare eventually outpaced vehicles like the Hanomag and the M3. And a new generation of faster, more heavily armored land transport emerged in the early 80s with the M2 Bracket. The U.S. Marine Corps described their fighting philosophy as seeking to shatter the enemy's cohesion through a variety of rapid, focused, and unexpected actions. That philosophy, put more simply, reads, move men and armor quickly. Powered by an eight-cylinder diesel engine and operated by a crew of three, the M2 Bradley can carry a squad of seven combat-ready infantry at a maximum road speed of 65 kilometers per hour across an operational range of 450 kilometers. This fulfills one of the main design objectives of the M2 Bradley, which was to keep pace with the Abrams battle tank, with which it often fights in formation. However, speed in battle is not the only consideration for armored personnel carriers. Whenever you're transporting troops from one location to the next, then you need to get there as quickly as possible. The less time you spend on the road, the less likelihood there is of being hit. 
Of course, speed is worthless without maneuverability. And the M2 rides on a torsion bar suspension system with a... Five ways to cut my bride's wedding budget in half from a wedding clip. We all know weddings can get expensive, which is why all my brides use Zazzle. It is the best way to stay bougie on a budget. First impressions are crucial. I always recommend... Track that sits on six double-tired road wheels, giving the 36-ton vehicle exceptional all-terrain capability. And that mobility is matched by protection. If you look at something like an RPG-7, uh, which has an 89mm diameter cone, that can penetrate up to about 300mm of rolled homogeneous armor steel. So it's a very deadly threat indeed. And of course, most armored vehicles, such as tanks, they don't have 300 millimeters of steel on their hulls to provide the level of protection that they require. And so you need uh, another means of providing protection. To combat this, the M2 has been upgraded with additional applique steel armor and the latest explosive reactive armor, which consists of 96 tiles fixed to the sides turret and front of the vehicle, which effectively enhance protection against a variety of anti-armor munitions like the RPG-7. While their main mission is to provide protected transport to a squad of troops to and from critical points on the battlefield, the M2 can provide supporting fire with an array of cannons, machine guns, and even the tow anti-tank guided missile system. The M2 Bradley has experienced continued success since its introduction in 1981. Yet the Bradley was developed at the height of the Cold War, around the expectation that if a war were to take place, it would likely be a high-intensity conflict in Europe, fought along traditional lines. However, recent conflicts in the Middle East and elsewhere have proved to be, in many ways, anything but traditional. The changing conditions have demanded a fast, adaptable vehicle to meet new battlefield challenges. And that vehicle is the eight-wheeled IAV Striker. Protected mobility vehicle. And the idea is that uh, it's there to transport troops very quickly from one location to the other. Providing armored protection for a two-man crew and a squad of nine infantry soldiers, everything about the Striker is designed for speed, adaptability, and survivability. Its eight wheels can be switched on the fly between four-wheel drive on main roads to eight-by-eight eight configuration for rough terrain achieve speeds of up to 100 kilometers per hour. But the eight-wheel design is more than just a novelty. It follows a modern trend based on battlefield experience. One of the interesting design features of the Striker is that it has multiple wheels. It has eight wheels. So that means once it goes over a mine, and if that mine goes off and you lose a wheel station, it doesn't kill your mobility. And that can be essential if you're trying to get out of a very hot spot on the battlefield. Tracks, on the other hand, if you run over a mine and you destroy your track, then that means that you've lost your mobility and effectively you're a sitting duck. 
less an armored fighting vehicle like the Bradley, and more a counterinsurgency weapon. Being wheeled, the striker is far quieter on approach, giving the troops far greater opportunity of overwhelming their objectives by stealth. Of course, protection is paramount for a vehicle designed to deliver troops to the heart of battle. And while the striker is heavily armored, combat experience in Iraq pointed towards the need for countermeasures against the anti-tank weapons it encountered. And so the striker was retrofitted with a cage of slat armor. But perhaps the greatest advantage of the striker compared to the Bradley is its weight. The back end of the Cold War, the US Army was specifically looking for a vehicle that they could deploy very quickly uh, around the world. And mass is a very big consideration when you're looking at deployability. That is, that you want to reduce the weight of your vehicle as much as possible, but still maintain features like good levels of protection, perhaps in some cases, good levels of lethality. And the IAV Striker is one vehicle that has the possibility of offering those. While the Striker is lethal, with a universal mount that can accept the remote weapon station, a modular unit which can fit a variety of weapons as needed, from heavy machine guns right up to a 105mm rifle cannon, it weighs a comparatively light 17 tons. As such, it forms the basis of new, highly mobile units referred to as brigade combat teams. Each brigade operates more than 300 strikers of different variants. And that lighter weight contributes to the ability for an entire brigade to be airlifted and deployed anywhere in the world within 96 hours. And that speed of deployment can only happen one way. By air. Did you know that there's a specific 2,000-year-old Korean food that you can eat to help get rid of your heartburn naturally? And did you know that acid reflux and heartburn affect nearly one-third of adults in the U.S. on a weekly basis? That's over 100 million people every single week suffering from that irritating, uncomfortable... While the aircraft of 1918 were extremely primitive, their obvious fighting potential saw most of the military functions of modern aircraft in place by the end of World War I. With just two notable exceptions, the cargo aircraft and the helicopter. The interwar years saw rapid developments in the range and carrying capacity of civil aircraft. And during World War II, the potential of transport aircraft was unlocked and militaries began moving men and equipment in ways that no one had ever imagined. In December 1935, an aircraft was introduced into domestic service in the United States that many have referred to as the most important aircraft ever built, the Douglas DC-3. The smooth, round, aerodynamic shape which minimized the drag effects of greater size were revolutionary at the time. Combined with powerful engines and retractable undercarriage, the all-new shape gave the DC-3 a top speed of over 300 kilometers per hour, which 
which was extraordinary for its day, as was the wing design, enabling the DC-3 to take off and land from short, unprepared airstrips. It wasn't long before its military potential was realized, and in 1939, the C-47 Skytrain was born. Differing little in appearance from its domestic cousin, slightly more powerful engines increased the C-47's top speed by 30 kilometers to 360 kilometers per hour, and left it with a useful range of 2,750 kilometers. This aircraft was used both for troop transport and cargo. So in many campaigns in Europe, in the Pacific, these aircraft were the prime airlift asset, really, for the Allies. With the ability to haul 28 combat-equipped troops and to land and take off from rough fields less than 800 meters long, the C-47 could quickly deliver men and material close to the front lines. Designed for loads of up to 2,750 kilograms internally, food, medicines, ammunition, and machine parts for mechanical repairs could all suddenly be moved to the front lines by air. But perhaps the most revolutionary role undertaken by the C-47 was in airborne assault operations, where there was no place to land, but supplies and men were needed. The C-47 with its remarkable low-speed control, was ideal for delivering them by parachute. Really, it was the Second World War that saw the huge advent of paratrooper operations. In fact, you know, we looked at campaigns like D-Day, where very large numbers of troops were delivered out the back of fixed-wing aircraft, like the military version of the DC-3, or, in fact, from gliders being towed behind these aircraft. In all, over 10,000 C-47s in different variants saw service during World War II, deploying thousands of troops and supplies into critical combat areas. In this role, it was central to the establishment of the modern concept of airborne warfare, restoring a balance to the wartime firepower maneuverability equation, a balance that would be tipped further in favor of maneuverability of the helicopter. Helicopters saw limited service in World War II. With the fragile design of the first truly functional helicopter, the German Focke-Wulf FW-61 spawned a number of aircraft, both German and Allied. To that point, helicopters had existed and, and were used operationally, but had been piston-engine powered. Those sorts of engines, of course, had been the predominantly used engines in, in all aircraft, really up until the end of the Second World War. On land, personnel carriers had become the modern equivalent of the cavalry. But during the Vietnam War, the conditions worked against land-based transport. They were relatively slow-moving in the jungle terrain, and easily engaged by a hidden enemy. The solution was to get the cavalry airborne in numbers that would make a difference. To achieve that required a breakthrough in engine technology. And that breakthrough came with the development of the turboshaft engine. This is a French helicopter known as 
Alouette the second is the first worry bird to be fitted with a gas turbine. Up till now, speed has never been a strong point of the helicopter, but with 360 horsepower to help it along, it's quite a different story. Whereas the engines in fixed-wing aircraft were predominantly something called a turbojet, which was utilizing the exhaust thrust of the engine, the variant of the gas turbine used in helicopters was actually known as, or is known as a turboshaft. And gas turbines actually were developed to give much better power-to-weight ratios and reliability than piston engines. It was that dramatic change in power-to-weight output that allowed for the design of an aircraft to fill the air cavalry role. And the Americans turned to a helicopter designated the Bell UH-1. What was the process of actually putting this all together? Many, many hours of finding the right camera angles and watching it. The first trouble started just after 1 o'clock. 45 pages, here it is right here. Somber day for the country. The founder of the Oath Keepers Militia Group is headed to prison for more than 18 years. Codenamed the Iroquois, but affectionately known as the Huey. The sight of Huey's landing with armed troops spilling from either side is one of the defining images of the Vietnam War. Designed from the outset to move men, its large cabin space was sufficient for 14 combat-ready troops who gained access through large sliding window doors on either side of the fuselage. With a base crew comprised of one to four personnel, depending on the task and equipment utilized, the Huey, powered by its turboshaft engine, could vertically lift a payload of 1,750 kilograms and then move it at a top speed of 220 kilometers per hour. And like the ground and water-based machines that evolved from simple troop carriers to offensive weapons, so too did the Huey. So gradually they became more and more armed as helicopter gunships. So with forward-firing machine guns and rockets, and also with door guns that could be fired by troops on board in support of those on the ground. Here we go. Well, you missed the beginning of the show. We did the 25 most powerful militaries in the world. So if you missed that, uh, oh, let's see here. What do we got here? What do we got else here? All right. Uh, no, I'm not taking that one. Uh, let me just check the phone lines here real quick. All right, nobody's, uh, anybody want to call in? 657-383-0616, press number one. <clears throat> I'll bring you on. If you got any comments or anything you want to talk about off the top of your head there. But, uh, yeah, with the 25 most top militaries, you missed it, if you missed it in the beginning of the uh, podcast there. So anybody who's making the argument that China is they've got some powerful or, or, uh, or um, you know, the United States is declining in power, eh, wrong, wrong, wrong. And Russia's still number two, by the way. So uh, I was a little bit surprised about uh, Egypt being so uh, high-ranking there, Egypt. So uh, that's a little, little bit odd. Brazil, too. Brazil's got a huge military. So, but anybody, uh, let's see. Oh, you're in the queue, Shabaka, huh? All right, you're in the queue? All right, let's see here. I'm out on mute you here. Go ahead there, Shabaka. Hello. Now, what's going on, Joe? How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. 
Okay, well, the sun is breaking here in, in the Nevada heat. It's only like about 92 degrees right now, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it never rains may here. May... <laughs> uh, no, there's no rain here. It's going to be getting cold here because, as you know, the desert goes from one extreme to another. Now, I, I see know. you was talking about uh, military uh, power here, you know, that's going on oh, yeah. in the world. Okay, it's because, uh, and I see we bring it on, boys, in your chat room. Okay. And uh, yep. anyway, man, so, yeah, so what it is is, Joe, as we stated before, I think you and I are at the point that we disagree agreeably. Okay. What it is yeah. is that Niger and all the African nations there need to organize into one fist that was advocated by uh, Kwame Nkrumah. It's because the Western world, the United States included, okay, cannot survive without the raw materials uh, from there. And then that dude, uh, King Charles, Prince Charles, what he is, you know what I'm saying? England needs to return all the gold, the the bauxite, the chrome, you know what I'm saying? What about uh, most of the, the materials in northern Africa there that, uh, you know, they, that, that's not controlled by the, uh, uh, I mean, you know, Egypt, you know, in Egypt and uh, Libya and whatnot. You know? Okay. Well, that there is across the Great Sahara, or commonly referred to as the Sahara Desert. Okay. And what it is is that the whole continent from Egypt to Zimbabwe and Azania need to organize into one fist, as Julius Malema is advocating. Okay. I appreciate the people of Nigeria telling France to get up out of there. Then, of course, you know the brutalization of what was done in Central Africa by King Leopold, you know, what I'm saying, where he was cutting off the arms of those who did not pick rubber for Firestone or General Motors and Michelin and what have you. Now, the only uh, problem with Africa is, yeah. is, again, you have no water. There's no water in Africa. You can't pump. I mean, what do you do with no water, you know? Okay, okay, but what it is though, Joe, is that you got to get the the colonists out of there. You know, you got to get rid of the colonists, okay? Because you have the Nile River there, which is a major waterway. Also, too, you have the lake down there between Tanzania. I do not recognize it as Victoria's because Victoria was the Queen of England, not there in uh, Central East Africa. The whole continent has got to get rid of colonialists, and has got to get rid of neo-colonialists. This is why Patrice Lumumba was assassinated in the 1960s is because he had advocated that. Uh, also but what happens, too, though? Just say, for instance, you're right. Let's just say you get your wish. Everybody that's all the other countries except for the Africans, they flee out of Africa. They just leave. What's going to happen mm-hmm. to Africa? What do you think would happen? Uh, Okay, then, then, then this is why I'm emphasizing, Joe, and I see where you're going with this because you're telegraphing your punch, man, and I'm slipping it like <laughs> I used to do, okay? I'm going to slip it. Okay, so what it is, is is that what Africa needs to do is that it needs to unify off into one nation, okay? They have been advocating that, uh, you know, about for at least 100 years that I know of. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think about the Berlin Conference of 1888? I don't know too much about it, to be honest with you. Okay, I really I'm, don't. okay I'm going to tell you. That there's where the European nations, England, Germany, Belgium, uh, France, uh, they got together and said, well, we're dividing Africa up, you know, uh, for our purposes to get the uh, raw materials and the resources. They even 
coffee today. Even uh, certain minerals that you have, of course, gold, petroleum, uh, diamonds, you know, and things of that nature. I saw coffee came from Columbia. Coffee and okay, bananas no, were so, like uh, southern, you know, South America. Oh, oh, okay, no, when you go to uh, Ethiopia, okay, they have a huge coffee crop right there as well, too. And then also, too, in Oakland, California, Joe, you have a large Ethiopian population there. So I reach out to them, try to bridge the gap. And one thing about Ethiopia, hey, I salute them, man, because that is the only African nation that has not been conquered since 1100 A.D. Everybody that came through there in that time, going from Africa, about the European powers, have been smashed. Also, too, they need to get rid of the Chinese out of there because with neocolonialists or puppets of the Belgians, of the Americans, now of the Chinese, you know what I'm saying? They need to go as well, too. You well, know what I mean? I mean, you know, I, I, when you say Chinese, I, I start thinking of Brother Warren there. and I just, What happened to Brother Warren? I guess he disappeared off Blog Talk, huh? Uh, okay, I don't you know. You don't have a show uh, no more? Richard. Okay, I don't know. I will reach out to the brother. I hope that he is well. You know what I'm saying? Uh, if he moves on to bigger and better China, things, huh? more power to him. Maybe, okay, yeah, no, maybe he loves China, you know. <laughs> no, okay, 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 okay. Well, you know, I would have to listen to some more of his material to see exactly what his viewpoint is on. But, however, Brother Warren is always welcome to call into Shabaka's Black Experience. Now, Joe, first thing right. tomorrow, 11 a.m. in your time zone, we got our main man, the one and only Sarge, you know, who... Uh, we reach out to all the time. Now, we don't always agree with Sarge, okay? Sarge is very well-read, and, you know, Sarge is a bad man when it comes to a napkin holder. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So we don't have none below for Sarge. Tianki, I reached out to the brother. I'm done with him. You know, I did the best that I could, okay? Well, if you did now, your part to reach out, then, I, yeah, I got that. I'll stick up for you. I, I will always stand for yeah, yeah, no, you. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tried to reach out to him, man. I tried to solve the difference because doing my research, uh, and keep in mind, I always respect a black man that drops the name of the slave masters because Jones, Brown, and Smith, this just simply signified of who you were the property of if you were a black person, okay? And then, of course, uh, you know how I feel about the slave trade. And then, of course, too, is that a lot of that, uh, how should I say, conditioning particularly in your state where they had the Joanne Little case, you know, uh, where tobacco was like the cotton of Alabama. Tobacco was the main crop of uh, North Carolina and I believe uh, Virginia as well, too. Okay, so this is the more reason why you need to have the reparations, Joe. It's because as you understand microeconomics a little bit, <clears throat> Okay, you have a you said a lawn treatment business going on or lawn care business? Yeah. Well, yeah, I used to own a landscape okay. business. I scaled back. I down, okay. You know, I used to have five trucks on the road. Yeah, but I scaled back. So yeah. I can't find nobody that wants to work anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Now, now let's just say there, Joe, if that if you had slaves, okay, and they went out there and they generated this revenue and built up a market for you. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That is still a benefit to use because they built up the market, 
Okay, now this is where I'm going with the reparations issues because we did this here on a collective basis with tobacco, wine, sugar cane, not wine, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of Napa County. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, we did this here with cotton, we did this here with tobacco, but we also did it with sugar cane, particularly down there in Louisiana from what I understand. A lot of sugar cane, you know, was down there. And this was very, very grueling work. So the slave masters invested a little money in the slaves, maybe in the tools, okay, and so he made that seed money, and then after slavery, Joe, he still kept building off of that seed money, you know, uh, what they keep calling a uh, reinvestment. You see what I'm saying? But however, had it not been for the slave lever, that initial investment would have not have been possible. See, so you probably need to get on the phone, man, cuss out the governor of California because he's coming up with some more wacky shit. You know, California's a wacky state. But on your Ethiopia thing, though, the great, the emperor, Zawi Yakoba, uh, ranged from 1434 to 1468, conceded the latter point in 1450, uh, eliminating abuses by strong measures and executing the leaders of heretical sects. In addition, Zawi probably conducted an unsuccessful military campaign against the Beta Israel, a group. So, so mm-hmm. this speaking Jews who were practiced on the non-Talmudic uh, form of Judaism. So Ethiopia mm-hmm. has been conquered by by many many different. Uh, no, uh, no, uh, no, but no, 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 no. They have not been conquered since 11 A.D. 1100 A.D. is what I said or meant to say, Joe. Well, it says right here, it says right here, Yakuba valued national unity above all and feared Muslim encirclement. In 1445, he dealt IFAT such a crushing military defeat that the hegemony over the Muslim states passed to uh, the sultans of Adel in the vicinity of Harar. About 1520, the leadership of Adal was assumed by, uh, I can't pronounce that name, but it was mainly controlled mm-hmm. by a lot of Muslims in the regions there. So they were controlled by a lot of uh, Muslim uh, factions, you know? Because okay, Christians are Christians. Okay, hold on, hold on, Joe. And also, too, in the Bible, this is referred to as Abyssinia as well, too. Hold on. Pulling up some, uh, oh boy, pulling up some uh, information on and Wikipedia. And the Roman Catholic Church also. Did a lot of uh, you know pillaging over there, which we which I'm not for the Roman Catholic Church. I believe they're criminals, but they did a lot of mm-hmm. uh, pillaging in Ethiopia. I mean, the Roman Empire, you know, had to have some sort of hand in that those days too. I mean, okay, but they were see, but the Roman Empire. Okay, but Joe, but the Roman Empire got shut down after Hannibal finished with their asses. You see what I'm saying? And it was not Julius Caesar who he had uh, overthrown. I believe it was either Octavius or Augustus Caesar. And what had happened was General Hannibal had told his generals or his colonels or lieutenant generals and what have you, he said, hey, man, check this out. We're getting ready to go shut Rome down. And they said, well, General, how are we going to do that? He says, we're going through Switzerland. And they said, uh... Well, man, how are we going to do it? He says, we're going to do it on elephants. Well, General, it snows up there. He says, man, sit back, obey my orders, and watch, okay? And Hannibal shut him down. But, however, I think uh, I you know, they don't. I think Sarge is here. Somebody from private callers here. Oh, that's probably Who Sarge. Who is it, private caller? Are you disdainful of the fact that it's Sarge, uh, Brother Chewbacca? <laughs> Oh, yes, sir, Sarge. Are you reporting for duty tomorrow morning at uh, 11 a.m. your time zone, Shabaka's Black Experience, Sarge? We'll go. Over. Oh, okay. 
Okay, got you. Okay, uh, so we're taking that as an affirmative. Okay, so Joe and I were talking about coffee in Ethiopia. Okay, and of course, he said uh, Ethiopia has never well, been conquered by any other nation. He said it's never been well, a major now, country. Now, no, no, now, wait a minute. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, let's 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 correct that for the record. Okay, in uh, obviously wanting to seek revenge for the crushing defeat that the Italians suffered at the Battle of Adowa in 1898. Mussolini, mm -hmm. along with wanting to restore his empire, invaded Ethiopia in 1936. The Ethiopians okay, suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the Italians in that one. Mussolini mm -hmm. got his revenge for the defeat at Adowa, where mm -hmm. the Ethiopians handily defeated the uh, Italian armies that were sent there. But mm -hmm. they were never colonized by European powers. I think, I think that's what you mean to say. They were exactly. occupied, they were conquered, but they were not colonized. Well, exactly. But then again, so was France. Wait a minute. Yeah, but wait a minute. So was France. France was conquered, too, you know. Okay, okay. People Sarge, get conquered all the time. Okay, but as you know, Sarge, you know, as Shabaka's black experience, we could care less about Europe. Okay. Okay, I'm saying, but there's no. Yeah, but don't don't think being defeated in war is such a stigma because it happens to everybody. Okay, okay now hold everybody. on here, Sarge. Including Ethiopia. Including okay. Ethiopia. Okay, now let me ask you this here, Sarge. Okay, and keep in mind in Oakland, California, they have a large Ethiopian population right there, right? And I had to ask one of the young women, why are the women from Ethiopia so hypnotically beautiful in which they are? And she looked at me with her lovely smile and her pretty brown eyes and her natural right there. She says it's from God and it's in the water. I said, "Wow, okay, that's interesting." Well, you see what I mean? Maybe that's why. Okay. Maybe that's another reason Mussolini wanted to take Ethiopia. No, okay. Well, then that there would make him, as I stated before, a raping uh, pedophile. You know what I'm saying? And then, let's see, and there's a lot of material here on Ethiopia. So what I'm going to do, uh, Joe, in the future, I'm going to put together a show on this one right here because we now we do have the Ethiopian Adal War 1529 through 1543. Between 1528 and 1540, the Adal Sultanate, okay, and when you say Sultan or Sultanate, that tells me Islamic influence, okay, attempted under Ahmad ibn Ibrahim Ghazi to conquer the Ethiopian Empire. Entering from the uh, low arid uh, country to the southeast with the support from the Ottomans, Arabs, and oh man, here you go, Sarge, your favorite word. You're going to love this one here too, Joe. What's that one? Mercs. Mercenaries. Okay. Yeah. Soldiers right. of fortune. Okay. From foreign lands on pretext of a jihad, as we know, which means holy war, across upon much of the Ethiopian plateau, forcing the emperor to take refuge in the mountains, uh, fastnesses. In this remote location, the empress turned to the Portuguese or the Portuguese or some other slave trading people, bastards for military assistance against Ottoman guns. Joao Bermudez, if I'm saying it right, a subordinate member of the mission of 1520 who had remained in the country after the departure of the embassy was sent to Lisbon. 
Bermides claimed to be the ordained successor to the Abuna Archbishop, but his credentials are disputed. In response to Bermuda's message, a Portuguese fleet under the command of Estavo de Gama was sent from India and arrived at Masawa or Masawa in February 1541. Here he received an ambassador from the Empress besieging him to send help against the Muslims. And in July the following, a force of 400 musketeers under the command of Cristobal de Gama, younger brother of the Admiral, marching to the interior at first, were successful against the enemy, but subsequently defeated at the Battle of Wolfla. Love it. And their commander was captured and executed, as well as they should have executed his ass. And then the 125 surviving Portuguese soldiers fled, you know, with their tails between their legs. You see what I'm saying? In Greek groups with Ethiopian forces led by the emperor to enact several defeats on the Adal over the late 1502 and early 1543. On February 21st, 1543, Algazi was shot and killed in the Battle of Wainer Dega. And his forces were totally routed. Now, you, you see, this is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful black history that black youth need to learn as opposed to going out here wearing women's clothes and misgendering themselves and things of that nature right there. And then also, too, just changing the subject slightly. I saw a video clip, Sarge. You're going to love this. All right, here's this big dude, man, wearing a woman's wig and a full beard, high school student, in class, telling the teacher to address him as a woman, and the teacher wasn't going for it. Okay, now, this is sick shit, and blog talk, you could ban me like Facebook has banned me, and Stinky Bird, and the rest of you bombs out there who cannot deal with the truth. There's no way in hell I'm going to recognize a man as a woman. Now, keep in mind, this fool has his human rights. He has the civil rights. He has a right not to be persecuted because of his lifestyle. But the problem that I have, man, ain't no dude with no 5 o'clock shadow in the hands the size of baseball mitts going to sit up there and tell me I'm a woman. No, man, you're not a woman. You are confused, okay? And I pray that young black men, you know, get away from that trend is because as you know, Sarge, as and I know, and as you know, Joe, rather than uh, Detroit, rather than Chicago, Los Angeles, Oakland, California, Seattle, Washington, New York City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Newark, New Jersey, Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia, you know what I'm saying, Cleveland, Ohio, Cincinnati, they are trying to effeminize the black male, okay, and this is sad, and this is also two gentlemen, which is one of the harbors of slavery, you see what I'm saying, it's a transatlantic slave trade, and as uh, Brother Che Krumah was telling you, Joe, uh, a while back, about the buck-breaking system that you had on a plantation, where they would take the black male, sodomize him in the presence of his wife, sodomize him in the presence of his son, sodomize him in the presence of his, presence, uh, of his daughter. And we as black men are supposed to sit up there and be like Tim Scott, skinning and grinning, looking like Stymie out of a damn little rascal's room talking about ball. Yeah, but what about when whites, so well, hang on now, what about when, you know, whites are attacked or something? Where we're supposed to sit around and say, oh, yeah, give me another one, give me another one, you know, I mean, you know, that's uh, okay, the same Okay, well, problem. see, Joe, you know? Joe, Joe. 
that's not my concern. Rather, if I agree or disagree it ha- with no, that it, No, you had to no, sorry. Oh, hang reason, on, it is your concern if it's a black man doing it because then your people are being affected. Okay, right? but Sarge, I'm sorry, not Sarge, but Joe. But this is the more reason, as Elijah Muhammad had advocated, you know, for separation. Okay, now, I never thought that I would go that route, but as redundant as this crap is getting today, and they are systemically going out here killing black men, hiding behind badges. You see what I'm saying? And me and Sarge, we debate about this all the time. That is a problem. Now, ask yourself this, gentlemen. Why did J. Edgar Hoover declare uh, 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 the Black Panthers the public enemy number one? What did the Black <laughs> Panthers do years ago. to be declared as such? Can you, can you give me something present? You know, something present in the present day that's going on. I mean, we know J. Edgar Hoover. We know there were bad things that were done. We know about segregation. We know all mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. But that's what mm-hmm. we're done with. That's done. You know, it's, it's nothing no, going no, on no, today. No, 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 Joe, Joe, Joe. Okay, it's like a disease, okay? You have a disease, man. You know, you will go get some type of medication to make it go dormant. But then you would go to the next extreme trying to get something to eliminate it. And J. Edgar Hoover, you know, with his... Uh, unusual characteristics of himself, you know what I'm saying, had declared him public enemy, number one, simply because, Joe, that they were exercising in Second Amendment rights. Now, sorry. All right, let me ask you a question. Then. Okay, if today, okay, if on, today without separation, without separation well, my... what could we fix the problem? What would make you happy today? Just say, what okay, would make well, you happy today? You know, I can speak okay, for pretty well, much everyone start. else. Okay, first start is is to reunify all of Pan-Africa within the diaspora, okay? Get rid of the colonists out of Africa, the Belgians, the French, the Portuguese, the British, you know. Now, how can we control other countries? How can we control other countries to get other countries out of there? That's not our business. Uh, I'm talking about here in America. That's business. Okay, hold on. Yeah, you just said it. You're complaining about us being involved with affairs across the world. Now you're telling us to get involved with them. Okay, but hold on a little, Joe. But why was it that Eisenhower, man, had gave John Foster Dulles the okay to go assassinate Patrice Lumumba in 1960? Huh? Same thing with Thomas Sankara. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You see what I mean? I don't know nothing about that, Sarge. I'm here in 2023 with the problems that we're facing today. I can't fix what happened yesterday, you know? I can only look forward to the future. Okay, but Joe, there's an ancient African tradition called Sankofa. Going back to tradition is the first step for it. Now, the gentleman that you had on your show the other day, uh, you know, who was trying to over-talk me and stuff like that, okay? When I talked about that fat slob by the name of Sarah Hiccup, the, you know, the governor of Arkansas who wants to tear down the monument to the Little Rock Nine. And do you know about the little baby, Ruby Ridges? She was only like six years old, and this little baby is going to integrate a school, and then you got the National Guard right there, and they threaten this little baby on a daily basis. Look at the case of the Little Rock Nine in Arkansas. And then, of course, gentlemen, we cannot forget old Frogface himself. You remember Frogface? Segregation yesterday, segregation day, and segregation tomorrow. <laughs> now, 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 wait a minute. Now, now, hold on a second. Now, man, now, come on. Now, look. 
We got yeah. all kind of people out here who want to rewrite history and tear down history. We got people in New York City who want to take down George Washington, the single individual most responsible for the existence of the United States, then remove his statue from Washington Park and Washington Square. Now, come okay, on. There's a lot of that going on these days. We need to stop all of it. I'm okay, not looking. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like to be selective about it. Now, now wait a minute. Now, let me, let me say something else here now. Now, you just said okay, a minute ago that black men are being, and I agree with you, that black men are being feminized. That is all men. You've got to understand yeah, yeah. that. They are saying yeah. manhood is toxic. Masculinity yeah. itself are toxic. Okay. Men are problematic. You've okay, got to understand it. And you're waving out. You need to find allegiance with everybody who recognizes this and is pushing back against it. Because you better believe okay. it's happening to white men, too. Sarge, you have to look at the fact is, is that that shit originated with them fuckboys in uh, Greece, okay? They were with that. In African societies, man. Yeah, they're they doing jail, too, KJD. I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> they're doing jail, too, run by <laughs> black men. The jails, whether it's a cell block or run by black men, they do exactly the same thing. Okay, it's a tactic that is used to denigrate men throughout history Sarge. by all people. Sarge. But who runs the jail? The state runs the jail. The white okay, family brotherhood this, runs this the jail. This tactic you spoke of was used as prisoners of war throughout recorded history. It was You can go back to the Peloponnesian Wars. You can find similar accounts of, uh, uh, of the members of Greek city-states doing that with prisoners of war. Okay, it's nothing new. It, well, white okay, people on, on the North American continent did not invent the technique any more than they invented slavery. Okay, besides, okay, as uh, we stated on uh, Shabaka's Black Experience at Hands, we stated it here on Joe's platform, okay, why was it that when the king of the Songhai Empire, okay, when he got his orders to go to war, right, okay, and he told his queen, hey, baby, come on, get with me. Okay, you got to come out to the field with me. And the queen with her lovely, beautiful brown skin, nice, round, shapely ass says, well, baby, why do you need me to go with you? You know, because he had stated, I'd much rather die in battle with you by my side as opposed to leaving you here. And this place gets hit and you get violated. You know, by these filthy, unclean, no bathing, funky ass people. Because the European side didn't even believe in washing his ass. That's you know that's 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 Oh, come on, Chewbacca. Stop it. Stop it. It was a woman who invented hot water bathing. They put together aqueducts no, and public toilets the so they could be clean. Wait, wait, you heard of the Ethiopian. You heard of the bath? Romans okay. put that together. Uh, Sarge, but the only thing... Wait a minute, now, will you please respond to what I just said? You said we are paying you about paving? What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, Sarge, they had the black... Uh, okay, wait a minute. Let me, let, me tell you where, let, let me tell you where the kernel of that truth that you just spoke to, a kernel, there's mm-hmm. only a kernel there, because people uh, were making an association between bathing and getting sick particularly when they didn't have enough heat in the house and they were malnourished. Oh. So they made the wow. wrong associations with cleanliness and, ba- and, 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 um, and bathing, whether it was disease and bathing. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like many things 
that happened during the dark ages, superstition, mm -hmm. and an ignorance had much to do with it. But you better believe the Romans were a clean people. They were Caucasians. Man, they were white. Man. These were savages. Well, they Hold acted, on. They, well, look, they acted savagely, but there's no doubt they had probably at that time, uh, 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 you know, at and, and, uh, the time of Julius Caesar, they had the most advanced civilization in the world, no matter how savagely they may have acted. The and what do you think? They were the only ones? Okay, besides, they stole that from Kemet, man. It's because when you look at the vast oh, there you go majority again. Oh, stop of the, oh, the Shanghai Empire, oh, please. Oh, please. everybody wanted to go to the University of San Quarry, which is in Timbuktu. You heard that old saying, I'll beat your ass from here to Timbuktu. Okay. And there was such a place called Timbuktu, Sarge, which was an ancient mine. Uh, now, saying, for you, Caesar Augustus went there, too? No, he didn't. Okay, uh, uh, Sarge, uh, uh, I don't believe they did, okay? Uh, no, they didn't. Now. Oh, okay. And then to, uh, let's see here, and then bathing, the history of bathing, it, it hasn't always been about hygiene, a web page, that's some Google shit right there. Okay, but the thing is, though, is this, Sarge, okay, <clears throat> is that when the Europeans came to the continent of Africa, okay? And keep in mind, here's the source. Now, Sarge, one thing I will always respect about you, you're a man who will say, cite your sources. Just like I would like to know your sources of information, man, when you came up there and worked a napkin hold on somebody, man. That's incredible. Oh, okay, yeah, I never thought physics. about that. Yeah, uh, okay, ballistic. Yeah, okay, okay, Sarge, okay, okay, Sarge, okay. So this gentleman from Ethiopia told me in Panther Town, it's because they have a large Ethiopian population there in Panther Town, and he says is that when the Portuguese first got there, they stunk so bad, okay, is that we had to stand the <laughs> distance of one city block just to see uh, what the hell they there How did they get for. there, Chewbacca? Wait a minute, how did they get there? How did who get there? Uh, you know, you ever, have you ever tried to bathe with salt water? Especially when, you know, water is at a premium. Remember, you mm -hmm. got to carry enough for the voids. And the most important thing you need water for, number one, drinking, first and foremost, always. Number mm -hmm. two, cooking. In the meantime, mm -hmm. you got a bunch of salt water that is very bad to bathe with. You know, it exacerbates mm -hmm. sores. It makes your skin, if you, you don't want to bathe with So when they came there, they'd been on the ship for, what, three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks? Yeah, they stuck mm -hmm. to high heaven. Are you surprised? Yeah. Okay. Hey, now hold on. Hey, hey, now, I got news yeah. for you. I live, I live cheek by jowl with white men and black men in conditions where we couldn't bathe for weeks at a time. I couldn't measure any worse stink between the black troops and the white troops. We all stunk like hell because we weren't taking baths on the wash our crotch and maybe dip out our assholes. Other than that, everything else stayed place and stunk. <laughs> I'm sure those Portuguese sailors smelled the high heaven. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, I don't have I don't have nothing to say to Pianchi, but do let me read this here, Joe. You, you said you tried to reach out to him. That's what he says. He, uh, okay. he says okay. he tried if to reach he out to him. Well, I talked about it. I got to read this gentleman. Several factors contributed to why Europeans did not bathe often, such as the belief that it could compromise health. 
a lack of clean water. Now, I have to give Sarge that right there, lack of clean water, religious customs, and cultural attitudes. Now, keep that in mind, gentlemen, religious customs and cultural attitudes. Okay, for most people, having a private bath was not an option as it was too costly and time-consuming. Public baths were very common throughout Europe. Ah, public baths, very common throughout Europe. Now, my question is on that. Did they segregate these public baths where they had all the boys, you know, go only with the boys to bathe and the girls to go only where the girls could bathe? What they should have done was had the men and women bathe each other. You know what I mean? Okay. All right. But they didn't have the same attitudes about nudity that we have now. They they were they believed the communal bathing and the men and women, boys and girls bathed together. Okay. okay. And what, well, that, what, what is that much different than Japan? No. Okay, now now you got a point on there about Japan, Sarge, is because the Japanese, from what I understand, on the research that I've done, and I had family members who went to Japan, okay, serving in the service, okay, but the, but it was kind of like that they would clean themselves first, and the bath was mainly like for relaxation. And these old bones of mine, I tell you, that's been through some wars and what have you in its youth, I'll take me a half a bag of Epsom salt, man, get the water as hot as I can, after I showered and sitting there to soak, you know what I mean? But public baths were very common throughout Europe. However, and good hygiene practices have not always been practiced or considered essential for maintaining health and well-being. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Where medicine comes from, okay, like when you look at the ancient Kemet, okay, where they had the concept of embalming their dead, where they had developed dental work, you see, on some of the mummies that they had came out with. You see, they had dental work and things of that nature right there. They were performing brain surgery at the time. The European was still crawling in the cave. All right, okay. all right. Now, let's be honest. You don't have to take you know. my word for it. All right, he's waiting there patiently. Go ahead, Pianchi. 314, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, man. Oh, who are you geez. talking about? Who are you talking about tonight? My goodness, man. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. Me, Africa? You mean to tell me that Africans didn't hang out in caves? They oh, I know for a fact they did. No, you brain dead Negro. I know for a fact they did. I've been in it. Man, no, 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 no. You full of shit, man. You hate yourself. I've been okay? in a damn cave. Okay, but, I'm but you, you hate yourself. You no, you're not going to tell me shit. You ain't going to tell me you. nothing, man. And you I'm ain't going to tell me nothing. You know another thing, too, Sarge. Man, you don't know what you're talking about. You just trick. You know what I you know another thing, Sarge, you know I spent about nine years in Egypt all the way down to the first cataract. And my grandson, when he was about two, I got pictures of him all over the place. But well, here's the point. You got black American. Black Americans are not associated with those cultures. I'm going to tell you the reason why. Because a black God, American is nothing but a brain dead slave. Check out the hashtag resurrection of the mental dead. A black American is a slave in his mind. Read, 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 Elijah. Read, Cheek Antidia. Read, Marimba, I me. But see, that's what I was going to come up with. What you just spoke to, Bianchi. Let me finish. Let me finish. Black Americans are mixed. And those societies did not. That's from the rape and slave trade pedophiles trick. That's from the rape and slave trade pedophiles trick. 
I can't help it, man, because you choose to be ignorant, man, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to sit up here and be as ignorant as you and hate myself. You are a black man that hates himself. Yeah, but Chewbacca, you got to admit he's got a point yeah, when he says, the look, there, there's 3,000, what, 3,000 dialects and tribal ethnic sectors in, in Africa. They're very ethnic. Well, tribal is and you just said a minute ago, you just said a minute ago that you had this dream. You have this dream of pan-Africanism. They can't even get to, get it together in Canada. The French okay, and the Neo-colonialism that aids that SARS. So you got colonialism and you have neo-colonialism. Okay, you got to get rid of the neo-colonialism. This is why I appreciate you know, Julius Malema. You know well, what good luck with that. That's not likely to happen. You know what? Well, the whole world hopes it doesn't happen. I hope it does happen, but I don't think I'll see them out. All right, hey, let Bianchi say something now. Come on now. We can't just drown them out. Let him say something. What it is is that the white man whooped your goddamn ass. That's what happened. No, he ain't whooped mine. He ain't whooped oh, mine. He brutalized my ass. You were the time of Kimmet, were you? Sir, sir, sir. He brutalized our ancestors, Pianchi, and what you are, uh, Pianchi, you're another Tim well, Scott. Okay, you're another Tim ass. Scott. You're an ass-scratching, chicken-pecking Uncle Tom sitting at a lunch counter begging a white man ass. for a cup of coffee, and it breaks my heart, sir, to have to say that to you, because at one time, Pianchi, I thought you was highly intelligent. At he one time, Pianchi, you and I ass. had a, 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 a civil conversation. Uh, no, he didn't. That is, and the reason, that's okay, fact. and if that was the case, Pianchi, Pianchi, if that there was the case, man, why did the Plains, why did the Black Panthers so get, get, come into existence? Why did, they huh? get why did the Black Panthers come into existence? Man, you an ass scratcher, man. Get up there with Tim Scott. Use a coon. I feel sorry you for you. He said the Black Panthers got rid of you? Is that what he said? Black no, 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 no. I said no, Joe. I said why did the why did the U.S. government get rid of the Black Panthers? Is because they were in oh. fear of black men arming themselves. Because even Jagger Hoover has stated, and he was a practicing homosexual, getting fucked in his ass by Clyde Colson, his boyfriend, and says that the number one threat to the U.S. security is the. Well, is the, is the many, uh, organization many, of black folks? How many the organization of us, the United Slaves, killed black Panthers? Huh? Oh, oh well, see, they went back and forth. You see, well, see, those there were planks. You had governmental planks. Look at William Flanagan. No, man, look at William O'Neill when they shot down Fred Hampton. Okay? Infiltrators. Let me say you, you see, the counterintelligence you program. You say your ancestors this. Yes, your ancestors cared so much about you. Why did they get rid of your ass? 
Uh, well, for the simple fact is, Bianca, that I'm going to tell your stupid, ignorant asses because they were lied to me. The white man came with lies and deceit. Okay, black folks don't sit up there, oh, man, well, you blacks all yourselves into slavery. Yeah, but then when they got them there uh, to the point of no return, okay, to Glory Island, and when they filled up them ships, you know, they Well, they weren't going out to a love boat when they were loading up to Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish, Joe. I'm going to intercept you. Okay. And then it says, well, you know, we got about enough slots for about 150 more. Let's go get the ones, man, who sold them to us. Okay. That's what the story of Joseph Sinkew was about. So then what they went on and did was is that, well, we're going back here again on the second and third ride. Man, we ain't got to give you shit now. We're just going to kidnap you. But mainly your women, okay, it's because them lovely jugs and them nice round asses that white women don't have. You see what I'm saying? That's You're why telling me that they went over there, they looked at the black women, and that's why they put them all in slavery. That's why they enchained all the black men, put them in slavery because of the black women. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, Joe, 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 Joe. Come on, I'm talking I know, but that's what it Joe, appears you're saying, okay, Chewbacca. Okay, but Joe, but what it is, though, is that Europeans hated black people so much like they do to this day is because they cannot be us. Tell your boy Pianchi that. And I'm so sad to see a black man as brainwashed as really he is sad. with his listen, intelligence listen. and as intelligent Africans as he is. Were getting rid he of, needs Africans was getting rid of their kind a thousand years before they ever met a white person. Get out of here with that man. No, <laughs> That's bullshit. What they was doing, man, is that they were building up the they empires. Look at the history of, of the Zulu Empire. It was Look at the history of the Zulu Empire. Look at the history of the Zulu Empire. Shaka, that's how he built that enormous war machine is because he incorporated those that he went to war with. Now, what should have happened is when that first stinking-ass pale individual with them blind hair and them blue eyes with his funky, stinking, diseased, lying, trickery, Ass. They should have executed him. No, but well, how did they get rid of the disease, Chewbacca? If they were all disease infested, how did they get rid of the disease then? Yeah, and here's they another didn't. thing. When sailors went yeah, who, the who invented the germ theory of disease uh, there, uh, Chewbacca? When, who did that? When the that again, who invented the germ theory of disease? Who discovered it? Okay, uh, okay. what it is, is is that the Europeans, just like what they did with the Native you know, Americans in America when they first came here, they gave the indigenous people here blankets with smallpox. That's, that's, that's genesis. They're going to be associated with you when you run for office. You got to do better. <laughs> Man, I'm not running for no damn political office. Is you crazy? Are you out of your fucking mind, Pianca? You think that I will sit up there and degrade Joe, myself like Donald Trump do does, like this. Tim Scott does, like Obama, Barack Well, Obama everyone has a right to call in. Everyone has a right to call in. If I ran for political office, Pianca, I would be assassinated. Come on now. I, I did my Everybody part of the show already. I just was taking callers at random. I mean. You know, I mean, the bottom line is this, Chewbacca, you know, look, we, he already knows I disagree with him. Now, if he comes on my show and wants to have a voice, that's fine. Go right ahead. But that's up to the opposition of everybody else out there to confront him. You know, well, I'm not here. I'm here just call, to open a platform up. I'll call back in when he's gone. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's you all right. All right. Yeah, go run, yeah, go run with your tail between your legs, trick. Well, yeah, I don't think he's running, but 
I, I wish he would debate you better and, and have more of a... Okay, uh, no, you know, man, no, no. I tried to reach out to that trick man for years, man. Try to have sensible conversations with him. He's a very intelligent man, a very well-read man, but he's brainwashed. I'm not that type of Negro. I'm sorry, and I do not apologize for that. Now, the one who right, I love to right. debate that keeps me sharper, a sharp on my toes, is the one and only Sarge, because Sarge sticks to his gun. You know, Sarge will work a, a napkin holder on you and what have you. Sarge is an avid, avid uh, 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 believer in the Second Amendment, right? Self-preservation is the first law Well, Bianca, I can't believe in the Second Amendment. But I'm telling you right now, I'll tell you right now, Shabaka, you look, you yeah. and, you and, you just got a personality conflict. You are, you are, I, other than the fact that you're a radical black panther, you are probably just as conservative as he is, and you probably have more in common with what you believe than you have different. I'll bet you if you really listen. The thing is, you I just agree got with a personality that. conflict with him. It's a personality conflict. It may be irreconcilable. I don't know. But you, you are probably more alike than you are different. Look, Bianca uh, oh, is yeah, more yeah. adamant in his views and his beliefs than I am. Bianca is as wedded to what he believes, whether you agree with him or not, than I am. I mean, that man is sure that what he believes you is not the truth. He's not putting on the front. He's not putting on the front. I'm just telling you, Chewbacca, he ain't. I'm not putting on the front either, Sarge. You know what I'm saying? It's because I'm older than Pianchi, man, and I've researched so much, man. It's pathetic. But one thing about you, Sarge, you got me reading again, you know what I'm saying? And my main source of my information that I go with is Lerone Bennett, you know, out of the uh, Ebony Yard files, okay? And you've passed it many times over there on Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Now, here's something oh, yeah. here, Joe. I, I read his books, too. Yes, sir. Clothing Order Mayflower. Okay, now, oh, oh yeah, now, speaking of the Mayflower, in the early 17th century, when the Mayflower pilgrims arrived at Plymouth Rock, like the X-Man said, we didn't land on Plymouth Rock, it landed on us, they didn't bathe regularly. Unlike the uh, Wampanoag, these, these Europeans didn't bathe as often. Bathing, as we know today, was very uncommon among Western Europeans until the later part of the 18th century. It was believed that submerging their whole body in water was unhealthy and immodest. Instead, early American uh, colonialists believed that regularly changing their undergarments qualified as good hygiene. My God. Ugh. I got to disagree do, with do that. Do you not understand that the people do learn and adapt? What do you think, Europeans are stuck forever in the, in the, in the 18th century? No, they're not. They've learned like no. Tell me something. When, hey, hey, tell me something. When did Africans learn how to start using a wheel? Sub-Saharan Africans, that is. When Europeans taught them about the wheel, they finally picked it up. They didn't have it before okay. that. Okay, well, so, so everybody, everybody lives and learns. Chewbacca, everybody lives and learns. Everybody. Okay, Sarge. But my question is, have you ever read or heard of Professor George G.M. James about the stolen legacy, Sarge? Yes, I have. Yes, sir. Okay. And the good professor puts in there is that these fuck boys like Plato, 
Socrates, dude who they made drink the hemlock. What was that trick's name? Plato? Oh, Aristotle. Okay, Aristotle. they didn't go down there. Yeah, they didn't go down there and discover nothing, man. They went and stole the knowledge from the ancient comedians, okay? Just like when they had the Medusa Nature, okay, you know, which tells the story of the colleges and universities there. For those of you who do not know what the Medusa Nature is, it was called that before the the uh, the homos out of Greece start calling it the aeroglyphics. You see what I'm saying? And then, too, it's like how they talk about the great sphinx. It was the Hermocket. Now, why did Napoleon shoot the nose off the great sphinx? Uh, he didn't shoot the nose off the great sphinx. Yes. That was oh, erosion. Yeah, that was mainly due to no, weather erosion no, like it's going on now. This, right now, they're trying to preserve the, uh, the uh, sphinx and the other monuments there. Because of what mm-hmm. the climate has done. They've been there for thousands of years. Okay, I mean, nothing Sarge, man-made is forever. Okay, but Sarge, out here in this desert, man, where they got up to 120 degrees, do you know I did not have to use no suntan lotion? You know what I'm saying? And that's why yeah, exactly. I thank the Almighty for. Okay, because we, Sarge, are the children of the sun. This is not hatred against white people, but like I tried to explain to Brother Pianchi, who refuses to listen, and like you said, this is the third time he's done that, where he ran away with his tail in between his legs. You see what I'm saying? Uh, I don't get sunburned. I, people don't get sunburned. Gentlemen, Sarge, see, got, Sarge, I got two minutes left. Been, I got to get rolling here. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Close on out, Joe. Yeah, and then of no, course. No, your closing you know, thoughts. Go ahead. Give your closing thoughts. Promote your show. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry, give me final thoughts. Okay, closing thoughts. Get with us on Shabaka's uh, Grand Rising, you know, coming up this Friday. Our special guest is the one and only Sarge again, 8 a.m. in the Pacific, you know, 11 a.m. there for you Eastern guys uh, in the Mountain Time, 9 a.m. And for those in Chicago, Cleveland, in the Central Time Zone, it'll be 10 a.m. The number to call in is 516-418-5996. And please join us, and, and and you could debate, and you could send all your hate mail to our chat room. We'll be happy to read it on. If air, I call in, know, I better not get uh, muted, Sarge. Shabaka, you better not mute me if I call in. You're, you're co-host here, and you know. <laughs> yeah, you got to let it give me equal time there, uh, Shabaka, when the yeah. show comes on. Okay. Hey, and, look, like, on. and let me just say this about what you originally started the show off with. It was about the projection of military force, and you are absolutely correct, Joe when you point out the fact that the United States is unequal in its ability, in the aggregate of its ability to project power and the power it projects. There's no doubt the United States is unequal. But you've got to remember another thing. The ability to use force in a winter military conflict depends on what force you can amass at the time it begins with the forces that are available when it begins. Remember, when I got back from Nam, they sent me to Germany. I was a tank commander on an M60 tank in a folder gap waiting for the Soviets to invade through the folder gap. Well, opposite us were the first Ukrainian guards tank army. They, gave, they told us that we were to be expected to be either combat ineffective or annihilated in the first 72 hours because we simply didn't have the manpower to fully resist their invasion. What we were told we were being prepared to do was to hold phase lines or trip the Soviets as badly as we could fall back, leapfrog to another phase line, or trip them from there, and keep falling back in the hopes that our anti-aircraft assets and whatever NATO would have would give us enough local air superiority so we wouldn't be slaughtered by Soviet ground attack aircraft. 
See, look, we've only, got, we've only got just over a million people on active duty. We have all this power, but it's like, the question is, do we have adequate forces at the point of the attack and the time of the attack? Because American assets are spread all around the world. We've got a small active army. It takes weeks to mobilize the reserves in the National Guard. Right. But you've got to keep that in mind, too. Even as you look at all the power we got, it's dispersed. We've got a small active army. And the question is, are the forces going to be there at the point of the attack? All right, guys. Take it easy. Be good. Tomorrow morning I'll be on your show, Chewbacca. All right, later. No, oh, yeah, Dick. Give us a call.